Matthew chapter 7 this morning, and our focus is that you can trust the heart of God. You can trust the heart of God. There's a song out there, I don't know whether the song's good or bad, but the one phrase in the song that I heard on the radio years ago, when you cannot see his hand, trust his heart. Uh, you, you know that God, you can trust his heart. And uh, there are people who don't believe that. And the reason they don't believe that is because they've seen hurt and pain and tr- uh, difficulty, not trust, pain and trial. So I have a picture here of a concentration camp kids in a concentration camp. Obviously, I could have had worse pictures, but this was as bad as I could tolerate to show in church. And this week, I read about a husband and wife who were serving on a large church uh, in the south, and they went to Europe touring with their band. And when they went on a tour through one of the concentration camps, they both said, if God allowed this, There can't be a God. If this happened, there can't be God. And now they profess themselves to be atheists, and they write blogs and do videos to encourage other people to get away from the, what they call, lies of Christianity, what we call the truth of God's Word. And they said, God is either not trustworthy or not in control, so they turned away from Him. This next picture is of a tornado In a church. I don't know if you can read that sign, but it says, West Point Baptist Church. Tornado in a Baptist church. I can understand God doing that to some of those other people. No. See, uh, people have observed the damage done by tornadoes and hurricanes or terrorism, and they have concluded that God cannot be trusted. We've had storms from the Uh, East coast to the far east lately that have done lots and lots of damage. But let me tell you, go back to the screen. You can trust the heart of God. Now let's read Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. Ask and it shall be given you, given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Father, as we look to your word, let's, let us be encouraged in who you are and in your care for us. Help us. That, that's one of the reasons why we gather here on Sunday is so that together, collectively, we can be drawn closer to you, that we can reframe our thought process and reevaluate our culture because all week long we are slammed with information that denies you. All week long, people uh, advertising, news reports, they, 
They all push us away from you. So we come here on this place, your holy assembly gathered together, and we do it on purpose to intentionally move closer to you because we choose to trust you. The, the difficulties of life don't push us away from you. They push us closer to your heart. And so we pray that this morning you would challenge us and encourage us from your word, that your spirit would speak into our lives. We pray that every person here would be touched by the message, not from my lips, but from your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak into our hearts. And I pray that if there are people here today who've never trusted Christ, they would today ask Jesus to be their savior, to forgive their sins and save their soul. I pray if there's Christians who've been borderline, thinking about walking away or or just not fully engaged, I pray that we would leave this place today fully connected with you. Father, speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, and may our lives reflect the values you want to see in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can trust the heart of God. You see, God views time and life differently than we do, right? One day with the Lord is as what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is as what? A day. Does that mean God has no clue what's going on? No. Does that mean God's totally not even tracking time at all? Have you ever talked to a kid? I mean, when they're two and you ask them to wait two minutes, doesn't that seem forever? Have you ever gone on a road trip with kids and they've said, are we there yet? Uh, it, God views time differently than we do. Now, when I was, I have memories of preschool age. And when I was preschool age, I had no attention span. I couldn't wait for anything. And then the older you get, the more, you know, if the doctor now tells you it's going to take two months of therapy and then you'll be in pretty good shape. If you're an adult, you think, hey, that's pretty good. Now, if you tell a kid they have to wait two months for something, there's a riot. Why? Because as you mature, your understanding of time and life matures. Well, guess what? God has already matured. God didn't have to mature. He always was. He is always there, always has been, fully mature God, and he views time and life differently than we do. It took 4,000 years from the sin in the garden to the Savior. But God said when the fullness of time was come, For several thousand years, those who followed him were longing, waiting, yearning for the Redeemer. But God waited till the time was right. And so God views the time of your life differently than you do too. Because God knows you're going to live forever. He's not just talking about some of you older people who feel like you've been around forever. You're really going to live forever with the Lord. And so when God looks at your time on earth, your difficulty on Tuesday afternoon is not that big a deal to God because he sees the whole scope of your life from the beginning to the non-ending because it will never end. 
And he sees all of the scope of your life. And he sees what your life will be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. When time on earth is over and we're all with the Lord, he knows exactly what your life will be like forever. So God operates differently than we do because he has a different understanding of time and life. When we pray, oh God, please, you know, people have a friend who's dying, please spare their life, please, please, God. And God takes them home. It's hard, isn't it? But guess what? Those who believed in the Lord are more alive than they have ever been in their life. And so I have watched my brother and my mother die. I have held hands with people as they've gone out into eternity. I've been as a chaplain on the roadside when people died, as a pastor in the hospital and hospice when people have died. And God is good. Death is an enemy to this life, but death is no enemy to the life to come. Death will be swallowed up in victory. So when good people die at the hands of bad people, your time on earth is, is limited. When families die in accidents and storms, your time on earth is limited. When churches are destroyed by tornadoes, you can still trust the heart of God because life is so much bigger than this life on this planet. Because life is eternal with the Lord. The end result of life is so shall we ever be with the Lord. So Jesus challenged the apostles to live for God's glory and God's kingdom. And the apostle Paul taught people to set their affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And nearly 3,000 years ago, King Solomon said, hey, if you only look at life under the sun without the knowledge and the awareness of God, life under the sun is empty, discouraging, and frustrating. You could go crazy with the pain and the randomness of life under the sun. But Solomon concluded the book of Ecclesiastes by challenging you and he said, God is not untrustworthy, but that we need to trust and obey God as the only sensible response to the pain and suffering on earth. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. You can trust the heart of God. I'm probably going to say that a dozen more times in the message because sometimes we get distracted and we forget. Some principles. Number one, God is good and God is kind. God is good and God is kind. This couple who were serving in a church and went to the Holocaust, a place where the Holocaust had happened and they gave up on God. But listen, whenever you doubt the goodness or the kindness of God, look at the cross. Look at the cross. 
see the agony and the suffering of Jesus Christ for one reason only. He loved you. His goodness and His kindness flowed from the cross when He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was not overwhelmed by circumstances. Jesus was not even discouraged by our struggles with sin. Jesus loved us and cared for us and provided for us. And you can look to see what God did to save your soul. Look what God did to bless your life. Look what God did to make sure your future is far better than the pain and randomness of life on earth. Look at the cross. He sees the sparrow, and he cares for you. He notices when you lose a single hair. He notices your life. You're standing up. You're sitting down. He knows about it before it even happens. He wants you to love and trust him, to follow and serve him, and he will bless and enrich your life beyond measure, even now, in this sin-cursed world. But oh buddy, someday, beyond our ability to even comprehend the blessings that he has prepared for us. He is so good that he takes the difficulties of life and he works them together for good, to accomplish great things. God is good and God is kind and you can trust the heart of God. Secondly, God is wise. He is wise. He is all-knowing or omniscient. It means he knows everything. We don't. Every now and then, Kathy and I have this conversation. Don't you remember? We talked about that. And one of us, I won't say which one, normally looks dumb. Huh? I don't remember things sometimes. That's why I tell you, if you really want me to remember something, write it down. Uh, I get kids' names mixed up all the time. I poor Lucas and Lance. I do that to them all the time. It was a lot easier before Lance got glasses. Now, I, I just, my, I see them, I know who they are, and out comes the wrong name. But that's all right. I call my kids by the wrong name too, and they have tolerated it so far. But God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Have you ever watched a race? a sporting event, a soccer match, uh, a NASCAR race. Uh, you don't know how it's going to end unless you're watching a replay. God knows before the game even starts. God knows the end from the beginning. He is wise. And so God knows the difference between good and bad, good and better. He knows. Uh, I listened to an audio book by an evolutionist who was marveling at the genius of Mother Nature and the adaptability of life on Earth. He was especially impressed with the plants and animals that grow in the desert. And he said, everyone should go spend time in the desert. And all of God's people said, Amen, right? We live right in the middle of the middle of the Sonoran Desert. And so he said, everybody should go spend time in the desert and see the resiliency of those plants and those animals that they're perfectly suited to survive in harsh desert climate. But you see, there is no Mother Nature. 
there is only Father God. And Father God, our God, our Heavenly Father, created. And so that's why those things grow in the desert. And I've got to tell you, when I was doing that video for the verse, and it said, if a, if, would a father, when the kid asked for fish, would the father give him a snake? I thought a wild man, Phil. <laughs> and I thought... Phil might. <laughs> but, but see, God knows, and, and God is wise, and he knows what's good, and he knows what's not so good. And the thing is, what you think is good for you right now, God knows that down the road you're going to get to a place where that won't have been good. Because the change in your life through that difficulty will bring you to a place now that's better. Because of that hardship. God designed the wings of birds. And then he gave man the genius to design the wings of airplanes. God works terrible things together for good. And as you mature and become more like Christ, you'll notice your maturity happens through the difficulties more than through the non-difficulties. Athletes don't get stronger, better, faster by sitting on a couch watching movies. They get better, stronger, faster by working out. God is good. God is kind. God is wise. You can trust the heart of God. Thirdly, God is all-powerful. All-powerful. And this couple said, well, if God were really kind and all-powerful, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened. But God is kind and all-powerful, and God moved in the hearts of people to bring them to himself through the Holocaust sometimes, through the difficulties of life. God has allowed evil people to make evil choices that net evil results on other people. We saw that from the beginning with Cain and Abel. Abel made an evil choice, and he acted upon Abel, and that evil choice led to Abel's death. But where's Abel now? Abel's with the Lord. His premature death did not diminish his life at all in the eyes of God, who views all of eternity. It diminished his life on earth in the eyes of his mother, father, brother and other family members, all the other kids that were born. But God views life differently and he is all powerful and, and the world seems like out of control with terrorist plots and storms all over. But God spoke creation into existence. The universe exists because God said, I want there to be a universe. Let there be lights in the heavens. And there were lights. God created the universe with a spoken command. He is all-powerful. And we can trust him. Number four. God never messes with you. Never messes with you. And never misses anything. 
This always makes me laugh when I read it. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? My dad liked to play tricks on us, but if we really needed food, he wouldn't give us a rock. Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or as Luke adds, if he wants a little egg, would he give him a scorpion? See, God doesn't mess with you. God never misses anything. Sometimes we feel like it. God, how did you allow this? I can remember praying over circumstances in our church, in our family, in my own life, uh, praying over circumstances. And God, you know, because I didn't see this coming at all. And God did. God is never surprised. God never looks at what's going on in your life and says, Oh, Gary, I didn't know that was going to happen. Never once. God never says, Oops. God never says, Whoops. God never says, How about that? God always knows. He's not so busy in the country of Georgia that he's not available when he's needed in the state of Georgia. Because not only is he all-powerful and all-knowing, omnipotent and omniscient, he is also omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Now, some people teach that, well, that means God's in everything. He's, he's in this desk, and he's in you, and he's in me, and he's in the microphone, and he's in my water bottle. He's not. God is in you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. But he's everywhere present. He's not in everything because he's separate from creation. But he's everywhere in his creation. How is that possible? I don't know. But I don't know how he can say, let there be stars in the heavens. And there's so many stars that scientists on earth today still can't count them. Because every time they send something out into space, they get new pictures and find out there's more stars and more stars. And there was a little cluster, a darker spot in the sky, and they thought there were fewer stars till they got a satellite they sent way out there. And then it got some pictures back from that satellite, and they found out there were more stars in that little area than in all the rest of the sky. They have no idea how many stars are out there. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. And there were. And there are. And so God doesn't miss anything. He's everywhere. He doesn't miss anything. He sees it all. And he doesn't mess with you. <laughs> John and I could tell you, there have been times when we've messed with our kids. Just, just for a little bit of fun. Right, John? And if we wouldn't admit it, our wives could tell you a couple of stories. God never does that. God never says, hey, watch this. That's not God. And so he's never distracted. He's never disinterested. When you call on him, God never says, oh, I heard you yesterday. That's not God. He, he knows and he cares. 
And Romans 8.28, if you know it, say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things. All things. We can see how the good things work together, right? All things. We get in a car wreck. Our car's totaled. The insurance company says, well... Your coverage will replace that car, but that car is now 10 years old, so your coverage will only pay for a 10-year-old car. God uses everything. The financial difficulties, the emotional difficulties, the physical difficulties, the mental distresses. He uses your doctor visits and your health insurance problems. He uses it all for good. Now, if this were confession time, I would tell you that there's been times in my life I've really questioned God. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was thriving, doing really well. I was, anyway, it was going well. And we felt led of God for me to leave and uh, go to Bible college to be a pastor. But for a couple of years, I went to the University of Arizona and I took some undergraduate classes, generic general education, not generic, although it was a little of both. I took the general ed classes before I went to Bible college, and uh, Kathy and I were expecting a baby, and we were so excited. We'd been praying that God would allow us to have kids, and it was pretty exciting. And then Kathy went into labor and delivered, and the baby didn't make it. And I was mad at God because... I had a job I loved that I was really good at, and we were making decent money when I was in the Marine Corps, and I left that to take a job where I was working graveyard shift at a donut shop, two-man crew, and I was the low man on the totem pole. And it was a hard adjustment. I was struggling with school because I'd never been a good student. I thought getting a varsity letter was so much more important than getting a good report card. And, and, and so I was having to learn how to study. I'd never done that before. And it, it, I was angry with God. And I, I went for two weeks without talking to God. Because when, when our baby died, I told God, look, if that's what you do to people who love and serve you, you can have it. I'm done. And God graciously didn't leave me there some friends, Steve and Pam Brown. He's a pastor up in Oregon, Salem, Oregon. Steve and Pam came over and visited with Kathy and I, and that was the turning point when I started allowing allowing my heart to trust God again. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I've had to help a lot of people through death, death of family members, prepare for their own death, losing our child helped me be able to do that. Was it a good thing? No, it was a bad thing. Kathy and I will always remember January 3rd, the day our baby died. It, it's always going to be in our memory. But God has used all of that for good in our lives. Because God doesn't let things happen just to mess with you. If something happens, he will use it for good. 
he will, through the process of your growth and maturity, there will come a day when you will realize that God used some of that pain and agony for good. He never messes with you. He never misses anything. He works all things together for good. You can trust the heart of God. Verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Number five, God responds to your prayers. I don't know how he listens to all the prayers of all the people. If there's seven and a half billion people on planet Earth, and if a billion people are all praying at one time in a thousand different languages, God understands each one and each heart. He understands the prayers we cannot even say. A couple verses before Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.26, it says, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. He intercedes on your behalf. When, when all you know how to do is say, oh God, the Holy Spirit and the Father have this communication that allows God to understand your heart completely. So, verse 11, our memory verse for October, enter, yeah, sorry, my started to read verse 13. Verse 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I picked that as a memory verse for us to remember that God listens And he responds, and he does what's good. God doesn't say, oh, they're asking for egg. I'm going to give them a scorpion. God doesn't do that. He does what's good. So even when it feels like he's not listening, you can trust him. He is fully engaged and fully loving, and he knows the long-term effects of your short-term prayers. You can trust his heart because, number six, God does what is best. He responds to your prayer and he does what is best. Now, from your perspective, if you're praying for release from a health complication and God allows the health complication to get worse, does it feel like God did his best? Did it feel, does it feel like God did what's best for you? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But he is. He always does what's best. So he does what's best from, theologically from a Christocentric perspective. From an eternal Christocentric perspective. So when God does what's best, Christocentric just means centered on Christ. So the difficulties that God allows in your life allows you to focus more on Christ, talk to the Lord more in prayer, uh, come before God in the name of the Lord, and then helps you to mature in Christ's likeness because of that difficulty. So God's doing what's best based on an eternal Christocentric perspective. 
He doesn't do what's good based on what the average person in America thinks is the best thing to happen. In fact, there is no average person in America. America is a divided country. We actually always have been. We have always had elections that were really close one way or another. It's extremely rare that we have an election that's, that's big. The, a big difference is extremely rare. Most of the time it's like this. So the average American is either schizophrenic or there is no average American. But the normal person on earth would not necessarily think it's best when God allows that difficulty in there. <coughs> I can't remember where I wrote this down from. I, years ago, didn't keep track of where I got information from. I just wrote down what I learned from. So I got this out of something I read, but I can't remember where it came from. Often our prayers are not answered as originally desired because we do not share God's perspective in knowing what is ultimately a good gift for us. We are especially tempted to think of the values of this world. For example, health and wealth. Those were his examples. Rather than spiritual values. We're tempted to think of the values of this earth rather than spiritual values. So on earth, is it better to have more money or less? More. Most people on earth would say more. But as a believer, you know there are times sometimes when less is better. Because that's when you've grown and you've matured and in fact, uh, one of the churches in the Bible, Macedonia, they were praised for giving abundantly out of their poverty, not out of their abundance. So God does what is best. A loving parent would never give a child what the child wants unless the parent is sure it will be good for the child. Right? Right? I mean, when I was barely walking, I wanted a knife. My parents didn't let me around knives. have no idea why. No, I know why, and I'm glad they didn't. I would have hurt one of my siblings. A loving parent would never give a child something that would be bad for the child in the long run. Parents do all the time. But loving parents don't do that sort of thing. Sometimes even a loving parent says what? What was that? I heard one voice. No. no. Even a loving parent says no. Sometimes later. Sometimes not on your life, buddy. A loving parent knows focuses on the long-term benefits. We need to remember that good does not mean comfort, health, strength. Good, by God's definition, means Christ-likeness. So God does what is best in everything, every time. We call this God's divine providence at work in our lives. So that God has 
like a, a force field around you. In the Bible, it describes a hedge in front and a hedge in back. And nothing can get in except what God allows. And whatever God allows to get in, he promises to use for good. So if you're going through great difficulty, you don't have to get mad at God and say, this is what you do to people who follow you. You can say, God, I don't understand, but I trust your heart because you can trust the heart of God. He is good and kind and wise and all-knowing. So when he responds to your prayer, he knows exactly what the right answer for you would be for your circumstances and for your future. He does what is best. That's why uh, Jesus said, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You can trust the heart of God. Number seven. God wants you to do what is best for others. What's the first word of verse 12? Therefore. Because of what he has already said, because of the discussion that we looked at a couple weeks ago on judging and helping and taking care of your own self first, and because of this instruction on praying and the nature of God, And because of all this, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do you also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, it's said, I I read this, but it's said that uh, some uh, groups have a, this is called what? What's this called? Do to others as you would have them do to you? It's a rule. Golden rule. Some religions, some faiths have a silver rule. Somebody just made up that net. But, but what their faith says, don't do to someone else what you don't want done to you. So if you don't want to experience it, then don't do it to someone else. Now, if we follow the silver rule, you could do nothing and still obey that right? Because you're not hurting somebody else. But the golden rule requires action and participation. You do to others what you hope they'll do to you. You respond with love. You reach out. You serve. Author Reggie Campbell said, his pastor taught the platinum rule. Whatever God has done for me, I must do for others. God has forgiven me. I must forgive others. God has sought to meet my needs or has met my needs. I seek to meet the needs of others. God has shown grace to me. I show grace to others. God has been merciful. I am merciful. The platinum rule. But whether you call it the golden rule, the platinum rule, God wants you to do what is best for others. See... You can trust the heart of God. And God wants other people to be able to trust your heart. Therefore, because God does what's good and he knows exactly what good looks like, he wants you to do good 
for other people. Even when it hurts. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He did good for other people even when it hurt. So, when you look at your life, you look at your day, your week, your plan, I don't know how many of you plan well ahead. Um, Kathy and I have some established patterns for our days and our weeks that, that help us get through uh, to accomplish more with less thought process. Uh, but I don't know whether you do that sort of thing or not, but, but I do know this. Every morning when you wake up, you need to consciously think, God wants me to minister to somebody today. If you wake up and you live alone and you're not planning to go out, then spend some time praying for people. That's ministering for them. Call them on the phone. Write them a note. Minister to somebody. Because we live in a world full of people who don't believe you can trust the heart of God. And we need to show them you can trust the heart of God because look what God's people live like. They trust Him. They love Him. They follow Him. They serve people. You can trust the heart of God. Look what God's people look like. This week is hospitality week for our church. You're supposed to care for people. You say, well, I can't afford to invite somebody over. Well, Kathy and I used to have friends over for water and pretzels, right? Oh, popcorn and water. If you can't afford to buy popcorn, I'll buy you a little bag. Popcorn and water. We would do that. And we, had, we established really good connections with some people over popcorn and water because we couldn't afford better than that. If you say, well, my house is too small. I can't fit anybody there. You know what? I bet, I bet if you called Ben Qualls or Tim Pennick, or actually better yet, call their wives, and you call Teresa or you call Clarinda, you say, listen, can I buy a couple pizzas and meet your family at the park? I bet they'd say, sure. <laughs> Show hospitality to somebody because that's what Jesus did and that's what he wants us to do. Show people they could trust the heart of God because they see God's heart flowing through you. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't like to use myself as an illustration. I, I did earlier in the message about an area where I really failed. I had quit on God because of the hard times. I was so immature. I was an adult man. I'd been a leader of men in the Marine Corps. I was so immature. And Kathy and I have been through lots worse than that, and we've kept trusting God because we learned. I don't know what you're going through, but I feel in my heart there are people in this room going through difficult times, and it's difficult for them to trust God. Look at the cross. You can trust the one who died for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your patience with me. There are times when you and I probably both agree that I'm kind of dumb. 
and and you have been so gracious. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to grow. That I can look back at a failure now and think, wow, I would never do that now. I, I thank you that you give us opportunities to grow and mature. And I thank you that even when we doubt you, you are still trustworthy. I pray that we would love you. Pray that we would serve you. I pray that just because we've been here, we would be challenged to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.